review and discussion podcast. I'm joined by Liana uh, Kangas. Liana is a freelance comic artist, illustrator, and writer with a professional history in graphic design and outreach. Her current works include drawing and co-creating the comic She Said Destroyed, written by Joe, is that pronounced Corallo? And published by Vault Comics. And the miniseries True Cult, written by Scott Byron Wilson and co-written the short one short seeds of eden uh let me let me take another run at that sentence and <laughs> co co-writing the one shot seed of eden co-written by uh Carello, drawn by paul as Seta, is that correct really bad Azeta, with, uh, yeah yeah Azeta, uh, and published by tko uh, studios how are you doing I'm great. Thanks for okay. inviting me on. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you on. So I always like to help my guests relax by telling a few jokes just to, to lighten the mood. Would you like to hear a few jokes? Absolutely. Why not? Okay, cool. <laughs> All the comic books I got from my older brother um, had the last page missing. Yeah, you know, I had to draw my own conclusions. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good dad joke. That's a, yeah. that's a quality. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I like going to libraries. I asked the librarian if the library had any books on paranoia. She leaned over me. She leaned over to me and whispered, "Yeah, yeah they're right behind you." <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. So that's uh, enough um, <laughs> bad bad jokes to. No, I love with. a good bad joke. It's perfect. <laughs> okay, great. We're going to be talking about. If I can find my notes. Uh, Nightmare in Savannah. It is by. Layla Gwynn, Rowan McCall, and it is lettered by Mika Myers. And I'll read out the blurb. High school student uh, Alexa Bowman moved to Savannah, Georgia to get away from her old life. Too bad her past is a Google search away and her family's criminal past quickly made her an outcast. From tormenting cheerleaders to dreamy football players, Alexa can't keep up, especially when Faye, Skye and Chloe take her into their group of outsiders. But after a night in the woods, a power has awakened within them, a power that's equal parts magical and terrifying. But there are no coincidences in Savannah. And once they find out how to control their powers, the town is in for a rude awakening. So uh, once again, thank you to NetGalley for providing me with the advanced review copy for this graphic novel. Um, And I should also mention it is published by Maverick, which I think is a kind of subset publishing house of Mad Cave Studios. Cool. So I'd just like to kind of get your initial thoughts before we kind of like dive into into the comic. Uh, What was your initial impressions? Well, um, I'm glad that you let me pick between a couple books. The reason why I actually picked this book is because uh, I know Layla Gwynn and the editor of this book, Chris Sanchez, was actually my editor on a book at Mad Cape as well. And so I had been wanting to read it for a while. (laughs) Um, And I, for one of my birthdays, I actually went to Savannah one year. So I thought that this would be very interesting, especially dealing with dark versions of like fae and you know supernatural stuff in like high school era i always find that ya books that are you know like uh werewolves or things like that are super fun so i think this was done really well so i think the location does play quite a big part in in the book we start off the the opening sections of the book are uh, alexa going into high school she's moved into this uh new era i'm not entirely sure how familiar She's she is with the area. If she kind of has visited like Grandpa quite often, um, it seems like a strange place to her initially. I don't know if you agree with that. Yeah, especially well, they mentioned that she's like from Chicago, which a yeah. city going to Savannah is quite a huge change. I mean, culturally and also like city wise. So I mean, but at least the underlying thing where <laughs> everyone's mean in school is definitely the same. I'm sure. Yeah, so. yeah. I think uh, well, maybe cruelty in schools kind of does take on its own like different geographical flavors. I don't know, yeah. but um, yeah. Um, <laughs> So we kind of quite quickly get introduced to Alexa's crew, who are Faye, Chloe, and Skye. One of the things I really liked about the book was how well-written the dialogue was and how naturalistic the relationship between all, you know, between, you know, that core group of um, four characters 
was portrayed. Writing dialogue for comics is not the easiest thing in the world to do. So, and I really, you know, I really think that um, they nailed the, the the dialogue and the chemistry between them seemed like well, seemed to me kind of really well observed. Um, I've never been a teenage girl. I'm not really <laughs> um, aware of kind of like the conversations that they have. But to me, that seemed kind of like quite quite realistic. Yeah, especially when they first meet and like go into the woods for the first time. I think that it was the most natural and awkward conversations, how they're like, you know, you're in, you're already in the group, like, let's hang out. And, you know, they do a little underage drinking, which is uh, things that teenagers, I feel like, do. You feel like you want to be one of the cool kids, so you end up doing that, which I think is a like pinnacle for number one. Growing up in the South, like a lot of teenagers and folks, I feel like tend to just do that. So I feel like authentic wise, that was right off the bat. Really, the inciting incident in, in the book is them coming together, and it's ne- never really made clear exactly what happens. It seems like they undergo some sort of like ritual. The, the, the book is kind of, like, what's the word I'm looking for? It's interspersed with these notes from a fairy hunting journal that makes, yeah, yeah it makes that reference to what might have happened. So how, I, did, how did you feel that, dyna- that dynamic worked? Oh, I really liked it. It was actually, uh, so they'll intersperse those like journal pages in between like almost every single chapter, which is cool, or like every scene that ends that you're trying to figure out like what happened. And I found that going back a little, I think the reason why uh, it happened, well, one, they say like that when the fae matures, that thing happens to their eyes and their hands and everything but I think they were like dancing around a fire and I'm sure that that was one of the things that probably (laughs) ended up making it but the thing I found most interesting is like am I correct in thinking that her grandpa was the one that's the hunter yes so she's like technically reading her grandpa's journals and yes something like like that yeah she is one which is cool yeah and I kind of think it's nice that they didn't hit the cliche or like the trope of like yeah you're different from your family but there was never any type of conflict with that like she just kind of lived her life and continued doing this with her friends and there was never like her grandpa you know being like yes that's kind of one of the questions I had about the the book was was her grandfather aware that she was a fae or a fairy at all that wasn't entirely clear to me because they do talk about early in the book this idea of changelings of fairies coming along stealing babies and swapping them for their own uh, young ones so that's something that wasn't entirely clear to me whether or not her grandfather knew about the fact that her his granddaughter was like a replacement thing because then he might have yeah so that, how did you feel about that oh well i mean that kind of gives a little insight as to why all we have for the parents is well the parents were like embezzlers yes and that's how she gets like introduced to the front of the class is like one of these bullies says like oh haha she moved here because her parents went to jail or something but it's like did they go to jail are they maybe ah. possibly dead you know what i mean like yeah. i kind of like that mystery aspect and like maybe she hasn't seen her grandpa for a long time and so he wouldn't know yes okay so that kind of makes sense as well one of like the 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 key aspects of the book is using the magical powers as a proxy for puberty i think a little bit kind of like women discovering well as you're growing up kind of discovering what you're capable of and pushing limits Mm -hmm. and um making mistakes how did you feel the book kind of explored those kind of different kind of elements of I think good because they kind of talk about body changes I mean they talk about I think it's like almost like a metaphor for like the fae being able to beguile people which is interesting um or like they kind of also use it to bully the other bully group which is also interesting I feel like they definitely hit on all the points of puberty or like terrible shit in high school that you experience you know like but in the lens of becoming a fairy and learning what powers you have and things like that. And they also like, one of the things I really liked about this is that they talked about sexuality and like, uh, from her point of view, like not sure who she wants to like, but she does end up liking, um, one of the girls in the group, which I loved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
and like how it plays out, especially at the end uh, with like, you know, supportive uh, boy that has a crush on her and things like that. You know, um, I think I think it was done really well. Like, I think I would have enjoyed this as a teen, too. Um, you know, I enjoy it just being a fan of a couple of these folks on the book. But um, I think this would have been definitely a book that I would have really enjoyed reading as a teen. Yeah. So, yeah, there's um, something you mentioned there, kind of them using their powers to beguile people. And I think that's kind of quite an interesting thing, but kind of like both with boys and girls kind of exploring how to attract other people to them, how to be kind of like charming and engaging yeah. and all that, all that sort of stuff. So I felt that was really, um, that was kind of a, an interesting aspect of the book. Of, you know, as you come into your own power, you do try and find ways of influencing um, other people. And I thought that was, um, Absolutely. there was something there. Yeah. I totally agree. That's a great, that's that. And honestly, just socializing in general, right. When we're that young, uh, we're learning so much, uh, language wise and also social community wise Yeah. that, um, yeah, I think that that was done in a really cool way with utilizing their powers to like, um, I don't know. It just reminds me of like those, 90s movie uh high school and college type tropes of like little cliques that kind of form or things like that uh but spun in a very fresh way yeah one of my favorite things is seeing bullies getting their comeuppance and there's (laughs) there's a fair amount of that um in this book is that something that you enjoy seeing kind of pain being inflicted kind of like that that sense of like righteous uh, indignation and so yeah you, you know yeah, yeah that that character fictional character that i don't like got theirs is that something that you you enjoyed in the book or I, do you think it went too far retribution but also no i think uh layla how she uh wrote the pain afterwards of the like enduring that experience of like inflicting pain back on somebody else who has like pained you for so long. Like one of them, I, you know, you can tell like they feel guilty and they feel bad after they do it, which I think is important, you know, or like one of the things, well, I mean, obviously this is a spoiler for the end or whatever, but I think it's Chloe that um, they don't realize like the strength of their power anymore. And they're, spinning out of control which i think is good that they show that because they end up bullying the bullies back and they're doing terrible shit to each other but um the one of the main characters is like so drunk with power that she doesn't realize she kills the main character's grandpa yeah and she like they take away her power and um you know she wants revenge, but she said, you have to remember that she has to live with this for the rest of her life, knowing that, you know what I mean? Which is like incredibly powerful and very depressing. So it's, I think it's done well. I don't, I wouldn't say necessarily that I love like watching revenge stuff like that, but if it's done well like this, then it's uh, gratifying towards the character development for me, which is oh, the most important part. Yeah, like, for me, I do love uh, a good like revenge on the bully type thing. That's kind of like one of my favorite things. Um, revenge of the nerds. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, bit, absolutely. Yeah, a little bit. Um, but uh, yeah, it's one of the things that you kind of um, uh, brought up there, and it's kind of like a weird. Well, maybe maybe not so, such a strange ju- juxtaposition, but. Um, one of the things the story kind of vaguely sort of reminded me of was um, kind of Avatar, Legend of Aang, and Avatar, Legend um, of Korra, because, you know, Aang, um, he finds, he's always looking for like a nonviolent way to resolve um, a conflict. And there's kind of a big theme throughout the story about um, like forgiveness and kind of letting go of, like passings and I think there's a little bit of that in this story as well and um like the legend of core is very much you know more about um coming to terms with you know with the power and kind of understanding like teen relationships 
a little bit mm-hmm. more so I, f- I felt there was a little bit of that in there did you did you see any other like influences from like, other stories that you've read in kind of like night, nightmare because it's about um, that's a great question like trying to figure out what i can pull from this like i feel like the things that i'm thinking about was like when i read it i was thinking about like clueless or like you know like 90s honestly like slapstick revenge sitcoms yeah, <laughs> is yeah. what i was thinking of but obviously this is a darker like storytelling uh clearly yeah. i mean this is definitely you know if i think it, if it was a little bit more dark i'd be like is this YA? yeah, you yeah. Know? um but i think because the art lends itself to be very fantastical like it's very uh fairy tale-esque you know, we have like the fairy that ends up controlling the grandpa and she's very like beautiful. And she makes a joke that like her grandpa's like a thousand years old too. So she couldn't also call him grandpa or something yeah. like that. And she's drawn like either so beautifully or so like menacing to terrifying. And so it reminds me of like, you know, old uh, like Fantasia type level uh, style with like, uh, I guess like fairy tale kind of twist, but modern. So yeah. I can't, I can't quite place it. I don't know. That's yeah. a good question. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely kind of maybe a little bit like Sandman, um, in there as well. You kind of mentioned um the art. Like I'm always curious when I'm when I talk to artists uh, about art in other people's book, kind of what what they see because I've. I think I've got kind of a very rudimentary um, understanding of like, you know, why certain colors work and stuff like that. So like, the, the first thing that kind of grabbed me about the book was its color palette. How would you describe that? And how do you think that um, affected the way that the, the story was told? Oh, yeah. Rowan's, uh, this, the colors on this book are incredible. I think it lends itself to um, very interesting storytelling patterns um, because I feel like when um, when she turns Faye, Lex, right? When Lex turns Faye at the beginning, like a lot of the previous page, like the first pages are very like tan and purple. Yeah. Um, and then when she turns Faye, there's like a lot more pink brought in because yes. like, that's what's reflected in like all of their eyes and stuff like that. Um, and you know, there's a lot of, uh, Rowan uses like really gorgeous, heavy inks, which is like among my favorite styles. Um, and I, I just like it, there's a lot to be said about how a limited color palette, uh, can carry, a story done so well with its inks already. And I think it was executed wonderfully. Yeah. Um, one of the questions I did have actually was about the use of like the, the mauves and the, the purples in Savannah. Cause I, in my head, like my, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for in my head, kind of like Savannah, Georgia, that kind of it evokes feelings of like, heat and kind of like um humidity and stuff like that and that doesn't necessarily come across with that choice of like mauve um i was just wondering kind of what like emotions she was trying to evoke or what trying to type of feeling she's trying to evoke by using using those mauves and and purples in kind of like the normal sections of the story Mm -hmm. you know i think one, it's a great compliment to uh, a lot of the skin tones that were yeah. used, which I thought was important. And two, um, it's almost like the purples are very creepy, right? Like you yes. could almost look at them in a way. So I, I like the introduction of like the purple and pink for certain scenes when the girls are like having a good time or there's like a flashback to like when they're, I think kind of bullying the other kids like they uh rowan tends to like mix both those colors together which i find interesting yes and then the people who are beguiled are in that weird like you know that tan empty color which i feel like is shows just as creepy yeah so 
yeah, I think that's good. you mentioned also like the, the inking. I loved the inking um, on this. It's like, as, as you mentioned, kind of like the, the line work it is really good. And it's kind of, it takes a really confident artist to, uh, a lot of people kind of, uh, a lot of comics I've read recently, like the, the it's, it's like overproduced. If you know what I mean, it's kind of like mm -hmm. they've kind of gone back and they've added to it again and again and again, and it just like it feels extremely like extremely rendered. A, yeah, extremely rendered. And for me, this is kind of it's a beautiful book it's to look at and read because there's like a clarity to all all the line work, and you can just feel like right. I'm just you know I'm just going to put that 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 piece of ink down on the page and let it rest rest there. I'm not going to yeah. try and overcorrect it. Is that something that you got? Is that an impression that you got? As that well. is such a great way to describe that. Yeah, it's very like the inking is very emotional looking to me, yeah. which I think is so rad. And yeah, it's not like it lends to Rowan's style too. Like I love the way they use to fill in blacks and how they'll like, you know, kind of carve out inks um, with a lot of the scenes, especially ones that have a lot of like shock or like thrill horror to the page. Um, and yeah, even like uh, Rowan style lends a lot to like that creepy, like Savannah, like old trees with like the swampy type, like things hanging from it too. <laughs> so I think all around in general, like, uh, the expressions of like all the characters yeah and, like, the really cool yeah like the inking is done so i mean the drawing and inking done so well it's quite gorgeous yeah it is, it's, a, it's a gorgeous book um to, to look at um i do have a couple of criticisms um so the lettering i felt for the most part was uh, excellent um but i did kind of have an issue with the font that they used in the um in the hunter diary sections i wasn't entirely sure like are these handwritten notes or is this like a, just a really weird font that they've chosen to kind mm -hmm. of like he's chosen to print it out in and that did take me a little bit kind of out of the story one of my pet peeves is when they, uh, there are um handwritten notes in the in in a story and like the letter it chooses like a handwriting font that makes it much more difficult to actually read mm -hmm. what's written down on there um i don't think this choice particularly worked well for me how did you feel about you know the fonts in the in those particular sections um i think because it's supposed to be i guess the grandpa's journal i yeah. did find it interesting that it that was the font chosen but i also mm. wonder if that's a choice for book market purposes because you know, young teens are going to be reading this. Yeah. Okay. So that might be like a, I mean, that honestly might be a, a readership choice, but yeah, uh, I do find like similarly, like I am taken out um, when I'm reading like a comic and a page of like writing is typically done, I guess with lettering which is important yeah. because it prints well but yeah. i usually tend to hand letter my own like papers on page so it's also less work for the letterer which i always like to help out with <laughs> yeah i mean yeah yeah I, I can appreciate that kind of one of my favorite things to see in comics is when like the the sound effects are kind of lettered into the actual panel art um mm -hmm. that's kind of one of my favorite things i think there's is there a couple of sections of the, yeah, I mean, there's a couple of examples of that in the book. I'm kind of looking at page um, 89 where um, one of the, one of the characters is snapping a twig and you can actually see that, you know, the word snap is actually lettered mm -hmm. into the panel. And I, I really love when, um, when that happens in, in comic books um, as well. So um, cool. the, the other thing that I really, I think the, the art, the artwork does really well is just kind of like the, the general um, layout, how she, uh, how they kind of play with um, panels and certain sections not having panels and overlay. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of looking at um, a couple of pages, like 72 and 79. They're kind of walking down the corridor, and um, there's characters. Their heads are kind of like poking up the, over the, the 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 panel border, and then um, kind of like in the next page, you kind of see a similar effect. 
but kind of reversed at the at, at the bottom of the page. So I, I really like the the way it's beautifully placed book, a beautiful, beautifully paced book. It's a very kind of like easy easy to read. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, did you kind of like find like a similar thing like with the, the panel layouts and stuff like that? Yeah, they were. I mean, it was so. Uh, as somebody who I've been doing four panel pages for the last like year for specific work, so it's so cool to see like a completely fresh. I mean, I don't think a single page in this book is like paneled the same, you know? Yeah. Um, you're right. The pacing, it lends to the pacing a lot too, which is amazing. Um, and I think there was one page, I think when they ask Lex, like, what about Lucas? And they, and it like, echoes in her mind and she's like overlaid the whole page i really liked that one a lot um uh similar to like you know using utilizing panels and like overlaying stuff with panels so um and even like uh before there's like a football game i mean rowan used like an entire half page just to show like the ref um prior like almost kind of like you know you're waiting in the silence of a football game and it kind of resonated like that for me so yeah 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 done super well yeah um cool so i've for me this is we've been talking about the book for about 30 minutes so um i'd I'd just like to give this like a firm recommendation i think it's um it's a really beautiful book to look at i think the characters are really well written I've, i think the, the dialogue is probably amongst some of the best i've read uh this year i think it's just really beautiful the beautifully observed um dialogue and uh, yeah i just really enjoyed the the, the way that the, the characters talked uh, with each other so like for me i'd recommend um others oh, this come out and uh yeah purchase this from from your local comic book shop how i'm assuming that you'd say the same oh absolutely what i I, one of i'm so glad that you again asked about this book because i love layla's work and so i was planning to buy it anyway so yeah okay that's a firm recommendation from uh both of us so um let's talk about you let's talk about um kind of your artwork and the projects that you've um been um been working so how long have you worked um kind of like full-time as a uh freelance comic artist wow um i think i started really trying to mostly put most of my time into it uh since 2017 okay um i I was illustrating prior to that, but I wouldn't necessarily say I was doing comics. So, but comic wise, definitely 2017 till now. 2017 till now. And um, one of the things I'm always kind of like quite interested in is what, um, what you like the artistic processes like for people. Um, Do you mainly work uh, digitally or is it um, analog or do you kind of like mix the two together? Well, I originally I started digital because um, uh, aside from comics, I actually like love painting. Um, it used to be what I wanted to do originally back uh, when I was going to college. But um, I started learning on a Cintiq uh, back in 2015, I think, um, and was teaching myself digital just to like do small ideas and things like that. But now obviously that's turned into my complete process. So most of my sequential work is done in Photoshop and uh, the majority of my covers are actually done on paper and I'll uh, scan them in and color them in Photoshop. But I actually did a, uh, an anthology recently called Dagger Dagger. I did volume two for Matt Emmons and I did all those on paper um, just because I don't typically have the time to do a single issue or like full graphic novels on paper. So I try to take advantage when I can, if there's like just a couple pages uh, to ink traditionally. And what is, what is your 
creative setup like um a couple of artists that i've t- spoken to one of them just takes their like um tablet device l- lays in bed and draws on it that way uh someone else kind of mentioned um going out to the park lying underneath a tree drawing there where others need kind of like the isolation of the studio with different things around them and stuff like that where is where do you find is the most comfortable uh place for you to produce your work oh definitely my studio so i i have a studio at home which is great um very very excited about it and I try to treat it like a nine to five job. I'm typically up here by 8 a.m., maybe sometimes 7.30, and I'll work until 6.30, but you know, try to have some breaks in between just so I can have a little variety. I try to force myself to leave the house once a day. Yeah. Um, but my studio is pretty great. I, I set up a record player in here um, to try and like put that on when I'm working on pages sometimes. Sometimes I'll rewatch a television show that I haven't seen in a couple of years. So like right now I'm actually rewatching Chuck uh, while I work on a couple of anthologies that I'm doing right now, like Archie and um, some stuff. So I, I think that's the most productive because I can treat it like a job. So it's not like, uh, but if I'm looking to like be inspired or like, um, work creatively for myself. Um, I actually really love traveling a lot. Um, and I'll try to unplug and take photos and take some time off, honestly. And that's, I feel like what really helps me get more inspired or like creatively fueled again. So yeah. One of the, one of the fascinating things I find about when I'm, when I'm, when when I'm talking about, uh, when I'm talking to artists is, um, how important it is to kind of like create art for yourself so it's not just kind of like a nine to five thing where i'm you're constantly churning out stuff for other people but you do find time to kind of actually enjoy creating stuff just for the sake of um creating stuff is that something that is quite important to you as well because you mentioned kind of like going out um the uh what's the word i'm looking for defragging that's the wrong word um kind of yeah like, yeah defragging. Good word. Yeah, yeah why not yeah <laughs> Um, going traveling and stuff like that I think so a lot of my friends would yell at me that I don't follow or practice what I preach in terms of like making things for yourself but I am actually in the lucky position in that my creator owned series is something that I would be working on so like true cult was something that I had worked on anyway before it got picked up so um even though, you know, sometimes I'll take a gig that's work for hire or it's a creator owned that's uh, built with a team that wasn't necessarily like me sitting down and creating something by myself. I feel like I do get a lot of that feeling of like fulfillment from that. However, um, it I do find that recently when I do have time to draw like either illustrations or something for myself that they do really well, or at least like I get a pretty big reaction to them so like recently i drew um ghost rider but it ended up being in the san diego comic-con souvenir book and a lot of people reacted really great to it saying like it's one of my best pieces and it's really just because i sat on the couch and watched a movie and draw a ghost rider you know what i mean like um and like the other i did some fan art for our flag means death because i really love that show and it's now um the cover of the sartorial geek issue three that's coming out later this fall and it's just because like i really loved that show and i was like they're so cute i want to draw them so bad but it's because i've been taking advice from uh one of my good friends fabian lillet um he yells at me all the time to draw for myself and I'll eventually listen to him. So when I do, it turns out pretty good. (laughs) But, you know, when you're doing sequentials so often and pages and pages of drawings, sometimes I'm just like, you know, a little burnt out. So I'll, I'll go drum and stuff instead. So. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, In terms of like when you are writing sequential comics, what is what does the process obviously i'm assuming you start with a script and then do you thumbnail it out or do you kind of have like discussions with with the writer before you put pen to 
paper? How does that process tend to work? Or is it like project by project basis? You're talking about writing specifically? I mean, I'm talking about once you've gotten hold of hold of the scripts. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, so if I'm drawing somebody else's script, I typically will call my creator and talk to them on the phone a little bit just to be like, let's run over this issue. Uh, and then um, if I don't have that luxury, obviously I'll thumbnail it out while I'm reading the script because typically what I find is things that I miss the first time when I'm thumbnailing, I'll go back and have like a really interesting way of doing uh, you know, layouts and stuff like that by kind of like getting my first look and re-reviewing it. Um, and um, I mean, because I work digitally, it's kind of like I, a lot of the time, go from layouts to inks because I kind of pencil at the same time and ink at the same time. Like I have two layers going on and Sometimes it's easier to just like trust myself and use the inks that I first put down as I would for pencils, sort of like what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, because I find that if I over, uh, when I over ink my pencils, it, I feel like it loses a lot of its life. So yeah. I've had a really, a, a ton of amazing editors that trust me in this process. And I've just been so lucky because uh, one, it makes my job faster and two like i am a lot happier with the work uh of how i do that process so um i kind of do it similarly but then i ink it on paper for like the dagger dagger story um and so that takes a lot longer it's a bit different of a process just because i have to scan it in and you know edit the page as well but i always find that to be really fun it's almost kind of like doing um, fun artwork that's not stressful. Like you're not thinking about drawing a figure. You're just kind of like Photoshop editing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's always fun. Um, I always like that part of doing covers as well. Um, but yeah, I, hopefully that answered your question. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. It did. Um, okay. yeah, yeah. You know, it's fine. Um, uh, so yeah, just a couple of questions about your kind of like stylistic influences who, you know, like kind of when, when you first initially started drawing and kind of like up to today, kind of whose work has kind of influenced the way that you produce your own stuff? That is such a good question. I feel like every time it is so hard for me to answer, but yeah. when I first started reading comics, um, Alex Ross was actually a big influence just because at the time, like I had told you I was kind of painting and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, it'd be so cool to paint covers you know what I mean yeah um but growing up and like reading more comics and stuff I read a lot of manga growing up so I think a lot of uh you know uh studios and stuff like that were huge influences to me uh especially just like the way manga is inked primarily um and you know eventually when I started drawing my own stuff or like wanting to do comics. There's a lot of influences I've had, but um, I keep going back to things like, you know, I think Scott McCloud influenced, I think my, my love for like inking, um, you know, Joelle Jones is such a huge inspiration for me in terms of how she draws figures. Um, Mignola, uh, is probably my biggest inspiration in terms of how I think my style ended up turning out. Um, Mobius, um, a ton of Italian artists that I, uh, like Dylan Dog is a series that I love a lot. So I love that inking style. Um, yeah, it, it kind of changes because I, I still collect and I still read and I love... I love ingesting, you know, new artist styles and stuff like Daniel Warren Johnson has such an incredibly cool style that I think has like influenced. I think each artist that I find that I like a lot influences a tiny part of like slight pushing my boundaries of like where my current styles at or to try and try new things. So, yeah, I think that's I think that's the, the same way because I do a little bit of writing 
myself. And with writers, it's, I think it's a little bit more tricky because, like, you don't want to be a plagiarist. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of like everything you read and kind of everything you see does it's sitting in the back of the brain somewhere like in a, in a pot and it's kind of like slowly kind of like boiling up and then mm-hmm. something will come out. And yeah, I think it's kind of a similar, similar process really. You kind of, sometimes something will influence you and you're not, you, you won't realize until like three, four, five, six years later on. Oh, absolutely. Come out, come out in the, um, kind of like, uh, come out, um, in, in, in the wash. Um, uh, let me ask one of my big, big questions. Um, what does success look like for you? That's a great question. Um, I think ha- being happy. Yeah. Honestly, uh, if I'm happy with what I'm working on or the team that I'm working on or with or the publisher that I work for, I, I feel very successful right now. So like, I would say, despite however many hurdles that I experienced in the pandemic, I do feel like the amount of hard work that I put in has led to me feeling successful along with like my team and like who I work with currently. Um, and also as somebody who has been reading and collecting comics for over a decade, I feel like I am a success story of what my younger self would think, like wildly successful. Um, Though I know there's like certain tiers to what people consider success. I think as long as I'm able to pay my bills and be happy, that is like the ultimate level of success for me. Yeah. I think that's a very kind of like fair answer to give actually is um, you're trying to find that happiness professionally Lots and lots and lots of people don't do it. Um, lots and lots of people don't find that kind of professional happiness. They kind of like they, uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, not me. I'd be my curious own. for other people's answers because um, um... It's, it's pretty similar to what um, other people have said. Some some people mentioned kind of like specific goals. So one of the creators that I am that I talk to, he does um, he does like a lot of animation work, and he wants to kind of get away from that. He would prefer just to do book illustrations. Um, yeah. I talked to uh, another animator and their their main goal would just be, you know, obviously being working on projects that they enjoy, but like their, their like for, for success for them, their kind of big dream would be to have their own show on like the Cartoon Network, so stuff like that. So um, people so kind cool. of, like, yeah, very, you know, ideas vary between kind of like, oh, this is the dream project that I'd love to have made to stuff that you mentioned where um people just want you know what i just want to have like contentment and to be able to pay pay my own bills so yeah i have very lofty goals for the future in terms of like wanting to own my own publishing arm and like bring aboard creators that i see that maybe don't always quite get the access uh to publishing their work um but you know, I, I try to take that a step at a time. So yeah. Yeah. And like, I know that that's more so like, I, I wouldn't, I guess maybe that would feel successful to me, but that's more of like a dream that I could like provide that for people. So I guess maybe like a mix of some of my dreams, whether it be that or like a couple other ones that I have, but also being content and like healthy health is also, you know, especially with us, as a society now with technology changing our bodies with, you know, how we're hunched over and stuff all the time. Like I've been trying to take better care of myself. So health is like the most, you know, along with that. So yeah. 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 Um, cool. Uh, talking about, you kind of mentioned the pandemic and stuff. Um, have you started like, I'm assuming you've already started going out to like comic cons and stuff like that. I have. Yeah. I just got back from San Diego Comic-Con. Um, it was quite an experience, especially after three years, you know, um, is that, is that the first major one you've been back to? Have you been to kind of like smaller shows? I went to Rose, Rose city, uh, comic expo in Portland in November, um, as like a tryout to see how it would be. I honestly just attended and I, I had, uh, one, two panels maybe, 
um, which was the lightest convention I have ever attended. Usually I'm tabling and paneling and signings. So um, to go from two panels to uh, three to four panels and signings a day at San Diego, which is one of the largest conventions anywhere, is quite, uh, quite jarring, but in a good way. Like I'm still tired a week later. Yeah. But I feel so good after seeing everybody, you know, you, you don't realize like how much you've missed people or like you haven't actually met people in real life yet, <laughs> you know, because you've been talking to everybody online for three years. So yeah. it's quite wild. Um, yeah, I mean, I went to like uh, London Comic Con in oh, I think it was a couple of months ago and I just found it too much. I found yeah. it just like there's too many people around here and I've got I've got quite bad social anxiety as well so it's kind of like the loud crowds aren't really my scene anyway it's just kind of I had to kind of like uh take several kind of breaks just to kind of like chill out or like deep breath go back in, <laughs> go back in there especially for yeah. large cons like yeah. that because yeah. like I mean I'll be at Thought Bubble this year and I've heard that that's one of the best indie shows because it's like outside and, you know, it's spaced out well apart. These bigger shows that are in these exhibition centers are so, you know, they're, they're trying their best in terms of learning like what we need now as a society. Yeah. So there's been like a lot of good, like quiet rooms added. Like I saw San Diego was uh, pretty cool about keeping like empty spaces for people to kind of break off and just like need space to yourself. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, how, you know, just kind of following on from how do you how important do you think comic cons are going to be kind of like going going forward because i think the impression that i get like just from listening reading what people say on twitter is kind of what they are has changed quite a lot it's a lot more about um like branding opportunities like for film studios and video games and stuff like that and it's maybe gotten a little bit away from the actual core art of like comic books and stuff like that so i was just wondering how you how you perceived that well i'm really lucky in that i used to live um in a centrally located area to go to different types of conventions and so i try to spread my uh convention choices across that far end of pop culture all right so we're back recording again well i'll just finish off finish off the, the conversation so just my um kind of last couple of questions um, what are you kind of working on at the moment? At the moment, I actually just finished all of True Cult. So uh, issue one actually comes out in two weeks. Uh, that'll be out on the 16th or 17th of August. Um, and I am working on an unannounced project uh, as well as my Archie uh, one shot uh, with Casey Gilly is going to be coming out in October. So I'm working on that as well. Um, as well as some really cool covers for some pretty amazing publishers. I'm pretty excited about it. Excellent. My last couple of uh, questions uh, to you are, is there anything that I um, didn't ask that I should have? Um, <laughs> I've never been asked that before. I No, I mean, I feel like, I don't get to come on as a guest very often for reviewing a book. So that yeah. was really fun. And I feel like it gave me a little bit of homework, which I enjoyed because I don't get to read very often right now with how busy I am. So that was actually a really nice uh, uh, break for me. And no, I actually really like talking about conventions and stuff. You've given me a lot of different perspectives than I've been asked on other podcasts. So I appreciate it. Can you please tell... Um the listeners where they can find you on the internet and all that good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. My website is lianakangas.com and you can find me on most or all social media platforms at Liana Kangas. I am extremely active on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok now, which is kind of interesting. You can see videos of my dogs. They're great. Um, and that's primarily where I, uh, notify everybody about all the books I have coming out, but you can also join my Patreon, which you'll get a ton of behind the scenes stuff. I do private discord streams where I color covers or I draw and I interact with the community there. And we have a great time. I post a lot of my process over there in our discord 
and you can join for as little as a couple bucks a month, or you can get a print in the mail, which is really fun. And it's a nice way to connect with community while we're not able to go to cons and stuff right now. So, you know, that or, you know, I love seeing everybody at cons and I love uh, meeting everyone in person. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, you can find me there and, uh, you know, subscribe to, I think I have a newsletter that gives you a monthly update. I only email once a month about all the books I have coming out. So okay. that's great. Um, so, uh, thank you once again for taking the time, um, out of your day to, to speak to me. It was a really enjoyable, uh, gang, if you can please, um, leave a review for the podcast, wherever you've found it, it really helps, um, other people uh, discover it. We're always constantly looking for for book recommendations to to check out as well. Um, if you can leave a tip in the chip jar, which is in the episode description, that also helps. And if you want to email me, you can email me at seafruitpanel at gmail.com. Um, uh, before we go, um, uh, Cole is doing like a series a, um, uh, a series of video on YouTube just basically talking about the comics that he's recently um purchased i think they're you know, kind of really interesting the way he's kind of producing those at the moment so please check out a youtube channel for those as well um okay guys let's say bye 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 thank you so much thanks okay so i'll stop